When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 69 of our, we are waning down, uh, episode 69 of our study, Exodus, God's Great Rescue. And God did rescue the Israelites. It was a great rescue. And now he's continuing to rescue them as they wander in the desert. They've uh, received the Ten Commandments from God twice now. God's punished them because they didn't follow the Ten Commandments the first time. But God is still their God. They are still his people. God has told them that they need to create a tabernacle and a tent of meeting, which is what they've done. And they're pulling together all their resources to do that. And so um, uh, we kind of spent some time in our last episode looking at that. And I want to just read this one little passage again. The silver obtained from those, this is Exodus 38, Verses 25 to 31. The silver obtained from those of the community who were counted in the census were a hundred talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel. One becca per person, that is half a shekel, according to the sanctuary shekel, from everyone who had crossed over to those counted 20 years old or more, a total of 603,550 men. And the reason why I bring this up is because uh, that's a lot of people. Now, is it possible to have, if this is, um, if this is a total of 603,550 men, that doesn't include uh, women, children, and other people associated with this group. That's a lot of people. That is a large crowd to be traveling through the wilderness. It's possible. Nothing says it's not possible, but there's a couple things that people just raise their question about. The whole population of of Egypt, uh, apparently at this time, was not, because they've done some censuses in Egypt, uh, was not um, a whole lot more than this. And so would they really have let so many people leave? That's one thing. And if there were so many Israelites, how did they not overtake the Egyptians? Because... If there, this is probably, if you calculate it out, 603,550 men is about 2.4, 2.5 million people. And, and Egypt at that time was three or four million people. So it's just, it's just an oddity. Um, but people have looked into this and they've said, well, there's other things that you could look at to try to understand this. One is that, um, yeah, so if it, if one way to look at it, it truly was a literal large Israel with 2.4 million people. And if you have a growth rate of 2.6%, they grew from 70 to 2 million in 430 years, which is not hard. But Egypt is 3 to 4 million. So it makes you wonder how come Egypt, how come they couldn't overpower Egypt? That's one of the questions. Or another solution is that the Hebrew word for Eleph is translated thousands. It could be tribes. So when thousands is written out, it could be tribes or thousands or men. So it could be 598 families with 5,550 men or 22,000 people total. Um, that's what some scholars say today is that there's, um, in the Hebrew, the that can be translated either way. It could be and or it could be thousands. And uh, so depending upon how you translate it, it might be maybe 22,000 people as opposed to 2.4 million people. I think that's probably the dominant view of most people. Um, 
It could be it has a different numeric base. We have a base 10. Uh, what if it was base 5 or base 8? Um, that that might also be a way to to do this. Um, it's also popular. It's also a theory that when they were writing this down, they were looking at the size of the tribes in the modern time that they were writing it down. Like this is what the size of those tribes are today. Nobody really follows that one. Or it could have just been an exaggeration. But man, you know, there's there's no reason to exaggerate. Um, so it's I go with either it's a literal 2.4 million people or that perhaps this and this elif is uh, is tribes or and thousands. Uh, deals with that situation. Um, doesn't really matter because God could have rescued thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions to, because God could rescue all of those people. Doesn't doesn't really matter. Um, God is a powerful God and he watched over his children of Israel. And depending upon how you read this, then you read the whole entire Old Testament, the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. You have to con- consider this in mind. So it's not just here, but it's throughout the whole entire uh, Old Testament. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books. The Torah, as it were. All right. Um, I think I'll leave it at that. Uh, We'll continue reading now at verse 25 of Exodus 38. The hundred talents of silver were used to cast the bases for the sanctuary and for the curtain. A hundred bases from the hundred talents One talent for each base. They used the 1,775 shekels to make the hooks for the post to overlay the tops of the posts and to make their bands. The bronze from the wave offering was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. They used it to make the bases for the entrance to the tent of meeting, the bronze altar with its bronze grating and all its utensils, the bases for the surrounding courtyard and those for its entrance and all the tent pegs for the tabernacle and those for the surrounding courtyard. All right, so a little bit of a kind of, this is what came in. These are the shekels that came in. These are the talents that came in. This is where we melted it down, and this is where we made the hardware, if you will. Remember, the hardware is the bases, the hooks for the curtain, the bases for the poles of the curtain. Everything else is made out of acacia wood, uh, but then the the individual pieces in the temple, in the tabernacle, were... Uh, were either made of gold or overlaid with gold. And sometimes the acacia wood poles were overlaid with gold. But it, it uh, talks about a whole lot of gold here. A whole lot of... God did not spare any expense when he told Moses how to make this tabernacle. We sometimes uh, look at churches and, um, you know, God does not dictate in the New Testament what a church should look like, like how much should be spent on a church. Uh, on a on a building on a sanctuary, um, you you know the most important thing is that uh, in the early church they got together for five things: uh, for the apostles' teaching, prayer, breaking of bread, fellowship, and pooling their resources to serve their neighbors. That's the five things that churches did. Um, but it is not necessarily wrong to also pool your resources to create a beautiful sanctuary. Um, in the New Testament, Paul says that it's our lives that are a temple to God, that our whole entire life is a sacrifice to God. So we don't have to have a, a beautiful sanctuary, but there's nothing that in the New Testament says you can't have a beautiful sanctuary because we want to give what is best, give our best to God. So when you give 
to um, the sanctuary. It is over and above. It's an offering. It's not a tithe. It's an offering. It's, it's something over and above your normal giving because you also want to meet the needs of, of you know, the, those things that the tithe uh, care for, the, you know, widows, orphans, the service of God and all that sort of thing. Uh, but, but a sanctuary, this was over and above. This is, these are people that gave over and above, and this is what they built with it. And then that remained with them for their whole entire journey in, uh, in the wilderness. So this was, uh, this was something, it was a point of pride uh, for the Israelites, and it was a grand offering to God. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we, as we develop congregations, there's nothing wrong for a congregation pooling their money and doing something special or awesome for God. You can't do everything, right? Not every church does the exact same thing, but you could pool around and look and see what your resources are, and this is what we can do for God, and then do our best for those, for those things. Um, all right, so we're going to look at the priestly garments, and that is in chapter 39 of Exodus. From the blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, they made woven garments for ministering in the sanctuary. They also made sacred garments for Aaron, as the Lord commanded Moses. So they have sacred garments uh, made out of yarn that they give to Aaron to set him apart uh, as the Aaronic priesthood in the temple, because they're the ones that will be serving God in the priesthood. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's go to verse two. They made the ephod of gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarn and of finely twisted linen. They hammered out the thin sheets of gold and cut strands to be worked into the blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, the work of skilled hands. They made shoulder pieces for the ephod, which were attached to two of its corners so it could be fastened. Its skillfully woven waistband was like it, of one piece with the ephod and made with gold and with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and with finely twisted linen as the Lord commanded Moses. They mounted the onyx stones in gold filigree settings and engraved them like a seal with the names of the sons of Israel. Then they fastened them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel as the Lord commanded Moses. So we've seen this design before, and now they're actually building it. And the fact that they took gold and um, hammered it down to fine thread and then wove that into the yarn and made that part of an ephod, it must have been absolutely spectacular with the gold shining in the middle of the ephod. Remember, the ephod is this yarn um, garment that, that sits, it connects at the shoulders. At the shoulders, they have um, these stones, and in the stone is engraved the, uh, the names of the sons of Israel. They have um, this waistband that goes around the ephod that's of one piece with the ephod. So this is a pretty spectacular piece of garment. Uh, but it's not just that. Um, there's also the breastplate, right, that, that goes as part of it. Uh, the breast piece. They fashioned the breast piece, the work of a skilled craftsman. They made it like the ephod of gold and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and of finely twisted linen. It was square, a span long and a span wide and folded double. Then they mounted four rows of precious stones on it. The first row was carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row was turquoise, lapis lazuli, and emerald. The third row was jacinth, agate, and amethyst. And the fourth row was topaz, onyx, and jasper. 
They were mounted in gold filigree settings. There were 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the 12 tribes. And remember, this is just to remind Israel every time they see the priest wearing this whole entire robe that they are part of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would have known, okay, I'm of the tribe of Dan, or I'm of the tribe of Levi, or you know, I'm in the tribe of Naphtali, Issachar, uh, Asher. All of these different tribes of Israel were very, very important. Even though that happened pre-slavery, they still knew which tribe they were, and they maintained that tribal order um, throughout all of Israel. Uh, verse 15, for the breastpiece, they made braided chains of pure gold like a rope. They made two gold filigree settings and two gold rings and fastened the rings to two of the corners of the breastpiece. They fastened the two gold chains to the rings at the corners of the breastpiece and the other ends of the chains to the two settings, attaching them to the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front. They made two gold rings and attached them to the other two corners of the breastpiece on the inside edge next to the ephod. Then they made two more gold rings and attached them to the bottom of the shoulder pieces on the front of the ephod close to the seam just above the waistband of the ephod, and they tied the rings of the breastpiece to the rings of the ephod with blue cord, connecting it to the waistband so that the breastpiece would not swing out from the ephod as the Lord commanded Moses. So you have this ephod, which is a garment, kind of like what um, you know a pastor can wear. Sometimes they call that an alb, but this was a blue and purple yarnish alb. Uh, and then in front, you have this ephod, which is yarn doubled over when it's got all the stones on it. It's connected everywhere so it doesn't uh, move around. And this must have been heavy, too. Um, this is what the priest wore to say, I signify. I am the s- signification of, the, of God who said you're going to have many sons, and these are the names of the sons, and th- this is my people. I'm your God. This is my people, and these who my people are. And people in... This tribe, these different tribes knew who they were. Must have been absolutely stunning and spectacular to see this. Um, be interesting to see a reenactment of the ephod and the breastplate and the stones and all of this thing just to see what it must have looked like. Um, we'll continue on. Verse 22. They made the robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth, the work of a weaver with an opening in the center of the robe like an opening of a collar, and a band around this opening so that it would not tear. They made pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, of finely twisted linen around the hem of the robe, and they made bells of pure gold and attached them around the hem between the pomegranates. The bells and the pomegranates altered around the hem of the robe to be worn for ministering as the Lord commanded Moses. So these are the other priestly garments. The priests would wear this. It's a robe, goes over the head. It's got a a little collar. It's probably where this collar came from, right? The design of a collar comes from this. Uh, And then it has um, gold bells made uh, around like pomegranates and bells around the base of the hem. So that also signified that they were priestly, that they were representing God before the people and representing the people before God. Um, and who's that for? Well, verse 27, for Aaron and his sons, they made tunics of fine linen, the work of a weaver, and the turban of fine linen, the linen caps and the undergarments of finely twisted linen. The sash was made of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, the work of an embroiderer as the Lord commanded Moses. 
They made the plate, the sacred emblem, out of pure gold and engraved on it like an inscription on a seal, holy to the Lord. Then they fastened a blue cord to it and attached it to the turban as the Lord commanded Moses. This is that plate that goes around underneath the turban on the forehead. It's attached with blue um, cord and it's attached to the turban. And so you wear the turban, you wear the plate, you wear the priestly garments, uh, and you are definitely looking like a priest. But you're not completely finished yet because we still have to add some more stuff. Um, yeah, we have to add uh, the oil, the incense. Let's see if we get into that. Um, we'll get into verse 32. So all the work on the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was completed. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its frames, its crossbars, its posts, and its bases, the covering of ram skins dyed red, and the covering of another durable leather, and the shielding curtain, the ark of the covenant law with its poles and the atonement cover, the table with all of its articles and the bread of presence, the pure gold lampstand with its row of lamps and all of its accessories, the olive oil for the light, the gold altar, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, the curtain for the entrance to the tent, the bronze altar with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, the curtain of the courtyard with its posts and bases and the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the ropes and the tent pegs for the courtyard, all the furnishings for the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both sacred garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons when serving as priests. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses, and Moses inspected the work and saw they had done it just as the Lord commanded, so Moses blessed them. And that's where we want to get to, right? That... They, God gave to Moses, these are the dimensions, the settings, this is all the materials, this is where we want to get. All the people gathered together, all their materials, there was more than enough. They had to stop the people from giving more, and Moses said, this is enough. Um, the craftsmen said, this is enough. Um, and Oholiab and Bezalel, they all said, this is enough. And they wove it, and they worked it, and they created it. And it doesn't say how long it took, but it must have taken quite a long time. And before they assemble it, they bring all of these pieces to Moses and they lay it out. And Moses goes through and looks at it and touches it and feels it and says, yes, this is great. And once he sees that it was made according to God's plan, then he blesses the people uh, and says, you have done a good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. It is good. Um, I think there's something satisfying when um, when. This, there's so much application in our world today. When we want to do something uh, of God, when we want to build something of God, we come together, we have a plan, uh, people donate money, it's funded, we build it, uh, and then we look around and we say, yes, this is good, and then we celebrate the people that did all of that sort of thing. Um, we are getting ready to dedicate our new sanctuary. It's not quite new it was completed in November. It's still got a few things that we're working out, but it's pretty much complete. And in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to gather together as a church and celebrate that um, the design was developed. The people donated to that design. It was constructed. And now we're going to consecrate all of this to the Lord. We're going to dedicate and consecrate it to the Lord. 
But what we're really consecrating in all of this uh, is the people, the people that gave of their material wealth, their gold, their silver, their yarn, all of that to to build the temple, to build this sanctuary. That's what we'll be celebrating um, because it cannot be done without the people. Everything that we do in this world uh, is not the priests, it's not Moses, it's not Aaron, it's not the leadership, it's the people, the people of God being faithful to do the things of God. <clears throat> That's what we're going to celebrate. Uh, celebrate all those amazing people that sacrificed so much, not only for the sanctuary, but just over the last 20 years or so of, of our church, of our congregation coming together and out building out of nothing, uh, you know, a place that's holy and set aside for God uh, in the Vail community. That's a really cool thing. Um, and we will be doing that in a couple weeks. And uh, so it is worth spending time to just go and look at it and inspect it and, uh, and say, yes, this is good. Well done, faithful servant. Uh, I know that whenever I'm on campus and I see somebody doing work, oftentimes I'll stop and I'll go over and I'll look at it and I'll kind of inspect it and say, this is, this is high quality craftsman. Thank you so much for your service. Um, I think that means a lot. All right. So uh, I think we're going to end it there. Um, we've got to the end of chapter 39. There's now one more chapter, which is 40. And again, I have no idea how long it's going to take to get up uh, to the rest of uh, Exodus. Maybe this week, maybe next week. I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, but we will play that by ear as we get together. So um, I think we're just going to go ahead and uh, close in prayer. Gracious God, for the blessing of this day, we thank you. And for the design of the tabernacle and your faithful people to pull together their resources to build it to your specifications, to your glory. We thank you. May it be an example to all of us of what your church can do when they create a plan, fund it, and build it uh, for the kingdom. Be with us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.